We want to thank you for being a part of our new series, Together. Throughout this series, we're going to take a look at the incredible bond, love, and devotion we can experience in our marriages and home, understanding the bliss God wants us to live in. So sit back and listen, and allow God's Word to change your life. ...about being together, and we're so excited here at the church to celebrate a month of love by being able to speak into your marriage, by being able to speak into your family by being able to speak into your life, to your family, your future, just every part of you. And please understand this. We know everyone here is not married. And um, maybe you're not today, but you plan to be soon. But there are also those today that have no intentions of being married. Why? Because perhaps you were. You've gone through a divorce, a separation, and just the, the pain and the anguish and the betrayal and just everything. And so we realize any time we teach a series such as this, we're dealing with a mixed crowd. And we understand that some people can say, well, I'm just going to stay away from church because there's nothing that they could say that could help me in my circumstance and situation. I want to tell you today, I don't believe that just because we're a mixed crowd, that creates a problem. What do I mean by that? I believe because of the greatness of God's word, that when it's spoken, wherever you may be, whether you're hurting, whether you're happy, whether you're hoping, whatever you may be, you can find promises and truths from God's word and principles that when applied to right where you're at, Where you find yourself right now, guess what? They will progress your life and they'll take your life to where you need to be. And we want every one of you to make a commitment to be here for together. Tamara said, what's the deal, P? Every time you preach on this, people always ask me, so when are you getting married? And we're so glad that we can talk about that. We can celebrate marriage, but we're here to celebrate every life. Wherever you may be, and as Megan said earlier in the announcements, on the Wednesday nights, we're going to be doing breakout sessions. We're going to be talking to the single. We're going to be talking to the married. We're going to be talking to the men and the ladies. And I'm telling you, every one of you falls under at least one of those categories. And we're going to be dealing with that and just really helping you. Why? Because we are going to discuss vital principles that you can learn from. So make that commitment. Here's what I want us to do as we start today. I want every married couple in this place to stand to your feet. Could you do that? If you're on your own today, your spouse is not with you, please just stand. And and if your spouse was with you, would you join hands with them right now? I want to pray for every married couple in this house. I want to pray blessing upon you. Would you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that throughout this series of Together, We pray that God, more than ever, you would unite us in love. That God, you would do a work in our homes and in our lives. God, we love each other now, but I pray by the end of this series, we would be so in love with each other. God, we just pray that God, we would open up our hearts, that we would be receptive to hear, that we would be challenged to make the changes that needs to be changed so we can be the men and women that you have called us to be in our marriage, in our home, for our families and for our futures. And God, we dedicate 
and commit to be here, to be a part of what you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. You can turn around and give your wife or husband a smooch before you sit down. We'll let you do that. A hug or something. Now all the singles, come on, if you're single in the house, I want you to stand to your feet. Come on, all the single people, or maybe you're dating, you're not married. Just those of you who are not married in the house, come on, stand to your feet. Come on. There you go. Look, an opportunity for you to look around and see who's single and who's going, only, only plan, only plan. But I want to pray for you today. Can you do this? And here's what I want you to do. You maybe don't have the hand of someone we do here at the front of maybe you're standing beside someone that you are in relationship with, and that's great. If you want to join hands with them, feel free. But here's what I really want you to do. I want you to place your hand over your heart. Because you see, when you're single and you're in this time, this is the most guarded possession that you have about you. You need to ask God to guard your heart and to keep your heart. Because if you don't watch in desperation sometimes or loneliness or because of pressure, you can give away your heart prematurely and you can give it away to someone who doesn't deserve it and whose it's not for. So we're just going to pray right now. And Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for every young man and young lady in this house right now. God, as we hold our hearts right now, God, our hearts, we may be holding a heart that at one time has been broken. We may be holding a heart like now, God, that's hurting and wounded. But God, we thank you, God, that you're holding our heart right now. And God, we pray that through this course, through this series, God, we would discover the truths of what a marriage should look like. We would discover the truths of the principles that we need to live by. God, that we would be everything that you have called us to be. We thank you, God, that you've saved the best till last. And God, you've got the best in store for each one of us. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, high five someone around you as you sit down. We think the singles are just as awesome as the marrieds in the house. Come on, say with me one more time. Together. Together. Come on, say it like you mean it in the house. Together. Together. Look what the dictionary says of together. Are you ready? It says, I'm really ringing bad. Thank you. There you go. Ringing, that's just the theme for the month right there. Just, just threw that in there for you. The dictionary says of together. Look at it says. It says, with each other. It says, united in action, in cooperation. And I like this last definition. It says, without stop or break, but continuously. Come on, there's no timeouts. There's no get away from me. We are in this together. And that's what we're going to be talking about all this month. Together, together, together. So let's look what the Bible declares about together. This is our theme scripture that we're using from Matthew chapter 9 and verse 6. And we're actually reading from the last part of that verse. It says, therefore, what God has joined together. There's that word. What God has joined Together, let not man separate. I love how the Message Bible, just the poetic way and the picturesque way that the Message Bible presents it, it says, no longer two bodies but one. Because God created this organic union of the two sexes, therefore no one should desecrate his art by cutting them Apart. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That God takes an oil painting and He paints you and that special person. And the Bible says, no one should desecrate His art by cutting them apart. What God has destined to be together, we believe, 
is for life. We're so excited. Last year we talked about what? Happily ever after. If you were here, we talked about having a happily ever after life and living a life that went the distance. The year before we talked about going the distance in our marriages and how our marriages can make it through every struggle, circumstance and situation. Our future marriages can make it through. Why? Because we really believe in this house. We are for marriage. We are for the home. We are for families. And we believe in you. And we believe biblically through the principles of God's word. We believe in marriage. We believe in marriage is one man with one woman. Come on, that's the picture of marriage. Even though it's under attack today, marriage is that which was instituted and still instituted by God. So we're going to begin a journey today and we're going to start at the beginning. There's perhaps no better place to start at the beginning because the problem is today, the marriage that we see around us today hasn't always looked the same way. Most marriages, most homes, what we see today is not the original intent which God purposed marriage to be. In fact, I think we would be sad to discover the results if a hidden camera was to follow couples, both Christian couples and non-Christian couples, and they were to go around and film how they interacted, how they talked with each other, how they acted to each other. In most cases, the saddest fact is you wouldn't be able to tell who were married or who were Christian and who were non-Christian. But I think we would be very sad today to see the results of what we would find. Statistics tell us, and, and, and you know, I hate statistics in the fact of this. Statistics are what? Statistics are only a representation of what's happened. Did you know that? Statistics are only a representation of the past, what has transpired, what has gone on. And therefore, here's what I believe. We don't have to be part of the statistics that say most marriages are going to fail today. Most marriages are not happy today, that people are miserable, that they're looking outside. We don't have to be a part of that statistic. Why? Because we can bring marriage back to the image that God meant it to be. So statistics are great for the fact of the past, but I'm not going to determine in my home for statistics to write my future. Come on, I'm going to determine that God's Word is going to write my future. The principles of God's Word is going to write my future. We don't have to fall victim to them, but we can be the victor over them. So in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, the first couple lived out marriage completely and exactly how God intended. What was that like? What did that look like? We're going to take a glimpse of what that must have looked like. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created. He made the heavens. He made the earth. He spoke and life came forth. On the sixth day, the Bible says that God didn't just speak, but he got down in the dust of the ground and he hand formed. And he fashioned his prized possession. You know who that was? You. He formed man. And he breathed into him breath. He didn't make mankind that day. He made just a man. Just one being. And God took man 
that which was pleasing to him, that which was created in his image and his likeness. He placed him in the middle of the garden. He placed him in paradise. My goodness, if only we could picture what it must have been like then. There were no roaches. There was no poisonous spiders. There was no nasty bugs. There was no weeds. It was just flowers. There was no rain. There was just sunshine. And and, and what did Barney sing? If all the world was lemon dry and whatever, what a world this would be. He had a picture, I think, of what it was really like. But the greatest thing about paradise where man was, was the relationship he had with God. Every day God would come and walk. Wow, that would be awesome. Just to walk with God and see him and feel him and touch him. But thank God today we can have that relationship with him. That we can walk with him. But notice if you would read, in paradise, Everything perfect. A great relationship, incredible relationship with God. Man still hung his head. Because even with all that, he was not contented. And all the ladies said, amen, that's the problem with men, they're never contented. Come on ladies, just be kind, just be nice, because we're going to get to you soon too. But it's important to note that man's discontentment, Adam's discontentment, didn't come from a sinful attitude. There was no sin. That He was incapable of sin at that time. So his discontentment wasn't because he had a bad attitude, because he was ungrateful for everything that he had. But his discontentment came from an earnest need that he had inside of him. He had a need for companionship. And there was something inside of him that was lacking. God makes mention of this in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. God even says this, it is not good that man should be alone. So I will make him a helper helper comparable just for him. And you've got to understand, Adam wasn't alone. Adam lived in a zoo. He had all the animals you could even imagine around him. In fact, what God instructed Adam to do was he placed him in the middle of all the animals of the garden. And he said, your responsibility is to name all the animals. Dog, cat, giraffe, hippopotamus. Every animal was presented before Adam. But the more he looked, the more he realized that none met his need. None was suited to the desire for companionship that he had inside of him. So God puts him to sleep. He causes a sleep to come upon Adam. And as he sleeps, God opens up his side. I love this. I could preach a month on this. God didn't take a bone from his head that he would lord over Eve. God didn't take it from the foot. But God took what? From the rib, from that which protects the most vital organs of the body. Notice the position from where God took that which was going to be so vital for man. And as he opens up and he takes a rib, he creates a woman. Adam wakes up to his amazement and great pleasure. Bam! She's right there in front of him. And wow, she is so... Beautiful. And wow, man, does she look good. And that's where she got her name. Wow, man. Only plan, only plan. That's my signature joke, and it didn't even go any better last year either. 
may have to find another one. Whoa, man. But look what Adam says as he looks at that incredible woman that stands beside him. Genesis 2, verse 23, he says, This is now bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. I love that. He's literally saying, this is a part of me. Did you catch that? This is a part. That's what our marriage should be, a part of each other, recognizing that we're a part of each other, that when we're hurting the other, we're really hurting ourselves too because we're a part of each other. Adam says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has been taken out of man. Think about this. Adam could have named her anything. He could have said maid. He could have said cook. He could have said servant. He could have named her anything he wanted. But listen to me. His desire for companionship and relationship was so pure that he wasn't looking for what she could do for him. But he received her as the gift that she was. What God had specifically created just for him as a lifelong companion. Isn't that precious? Isn't that wonderful to think? He wasn't in it for himself. He didn't name her something that could suit him. He named her something according to the gift that God had given him. To be in companionship. To be there with him forever. Woman had been created to fulfill the desire for companionship in his heart. And she did every part of that. The marriage experience they lived in was totally awesome. They lived with total vulnerability. They lived with each other. The Bible says they lived naked and exposed. Why? Because there was nothing to hide. There was no sin to mar their intentions. There was no past to jade their experiences. This was marriage at its finest, just as God intended. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed. They had intimacy with nothing between them. I'm going to say something right now. You ready? And guys, you can quote me on this again this week. Are you ready? It's time to get naked again. Come on, it's time to get naked. You can quote me on that this week if you want. But it's, it's time to get naked. Why? What are we talking about? Why? Because we need to expose again those things that are causing division within our lives. You know there's three things that destroys intimacy? In our homes, you know what they are? The first one is sin. Sin will destroy intimacy. The second one is secrets. Keeping things from each other. And you know the third thing that will destroy intimacy is silence. Giving each other the cold shoulder. Not being open, not communicating, not talking with each other. See, here's a great statement for you that you need to realize. Are you ready? Where sin lives, intimacy dies. But where intimacy lives, sin dies. Notice that? Where sin lives, intimacy dies. But where intimacy lives, sin dies. Can you imagine what a relationship like that would have looked like without selfishness, without self-ambition? Without any rebellion, just total unity. They thrived in total absolute harmony and peace without any sin. 
They naturally, listen to this, they naturally put themselves before each other. It didn't have to be played with and said, don't you care how I feel? Don't you care what's going on in my life? They naturally put themselves ahead of themselves and sought the well-being of each other. They had empathy. We talked about that last year. Empathy, trading places, seeing yourself from the other side, understanding where they're coming from and why they are coming. They had complete 2020 vision when it came to that. And this was and still is the image that God designed for marriage. It was a place of service and tenderness to bring joy and completion. You see, we get it wrong. We take the L out, which stands for love. And if you take the L out of complete, you begin to compete. In our marriages today, instead of completing each other, we compete against each other. Who's going to get the last word? Who's going to win this time? It becomes a competition. Come on, God never created us to compete, but to complete each other. And if you lose the L, if you lose the love, come on, completion is going to become competition. But they were in complete completion, bringing joy to their lives. It was a safe place. It was secure. It was an environment, listen, that they could fulfill their ultimate purpose. They lived in such satisfaction. Eve didn't go to bed at night saying, man, Adam's a pig and he just doesn't understand who I am. Every night they laid in bed and went, ah, just complete peace, complete unity, complete love, complete devotion, dedication, commitment, together. And you know what it was accomplished by? Giving themselves completely to one another. Living naked and unashamed. But we're not in Eden anymore. Sin disrupted the image of what God designed man or marriage to be. It now doesn't look like His plan because sin has painted a new picture Sin starts with separation from God. We see this in the garden. They were separated from God. But it doesn't just end at separation from God. Then it results in a separation from one another too. And now in marriage, what do we see? Selfishness. Competition. Immaturity. Resistance. Opposition. And it not only affects us as individuals, but it's now made a perfect marriage almost seen unachievable. We'll just have to settle with what we have because at least we're better than they are. Now divorce has become a satisfactory result to the sin problem within the home. We've come a long way from the Garden of Eden, but mostly all the wrong way and in the wrong direction. If we look at divorce, divorce isn't just a new thought of the generation where we live today. It's just at an epidemic greater than it's ever been before. Both in the world and in the church. But we see from the Word of God that one day the Pharisees tried to use divorce to trap Jesus. It was something that was talked of in the Bible days too. And they tried to trap Jesus when it came to the Mosaic law. Look what it says. And this is our scripture we've been using. Matthew 19 verse 3. The Pharisees also came to Jesus. 
Why does it say they also came? Because if you would read those first few verses, it talks about the masses and the crowds came and Jesus taught them. There was a great crowd all around. And in the midst of this, the Pharisees start saying, hold on a second, Jesus, we've got a question for you. We want to ask you something. Trying to trick him to be a lawbreaker and not a lawmaker. And the Pharisees came to him, testing him, saying to him, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? They knew the law. They were just trying to trick him to say something against it. But look how Jesus responds, verse 4 through 6. Look how Jesus responds. He answers and he says unto them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore what God has, what? Joined together. Let not man separate. They're asking Jesus, what do you think of divorce? And you know what Jesus' reply is? Let me show you what marriage is. Come on, his focus wasn't on the breaking, his focus was on the making. Aren't you glad today that Jesus is not, the focus of your life is not that he's pinpointing everything that you're doing wrong in your life, but aren't you glad his grace is saying you can be free, you can have deliverance, you don't have to live with that any longer. Aren't you glad his focus is on life and not death? Aren't you focused, aren't you glad that he's for marriage? And he wants you to succeed. He wants you to be blessed. He paints an image or a picture there of the perfect plan that God institutes for marriage. But as we read on, it's almost like they don't skip a bit. They don't quit. How many know Satan doesn't quit? He doesn't quit. He doesn't leave you alone. But neither does God. And God always has the upper hand. God's always the one that can rule and reign in that situation. But look what they say to him. They come straight back. And they say to him in verse 7 and 8, it says this, Then why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? They think they've cornered him now. They think they've tricked him. They think they've got him right now. But read on. Jesus says to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. But, say with me, but, but from the beginning, listen to me, but God's initial intent for marriage was never so. But from the beginning, that was not what God intended for it to ever be. He said, yes, you could do it because of hardness of heart. But the original design and plan of God, His image of marriage, was to be forever. I want to tell you right now, divorce and separation is always the result of a hardened heart. It's the result of a heart that becomes hard and indifferent towards each other. In some relationships, there are one There is one person who has a hardened heart and one is the victim. In other cases, there's two hardened hearts that refuse to submit to each other. Sometimes the hardened heart manifests itself through adultery as one leaves the home and begins to look outside of the home. Other times, driving couples apart through desertion. Hardness of heart. 
I want to say a statement right now, and I want you to hear me today. God never intends for divorce to be an option out of marriage. God never intended for that. God never intended for divorce to be an option out of marriage. Moses gave concession only because of the hardness of heart. But look again, if you could, at Matthew 19, verse 4. Jesus says these words, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? The first part of verse 5 says, And for this reason... He made them male and female for this reason. Listen to me. God made us different for what reason? To be joined together. There's a lot of differences between men and women. You could say amen then. That would probably be a good place to say it. There's a lot of differences that we have. But we've got to remember this. How was man in the beginning made? Man was made in the beginning in the image of God. He was made in the image of God. So both male and female were made to be in the likeness into the image of God. So here's my point. Here's where I want us to go with this message today. And I pray it's going to change your marriage, your future marriage, your relationship, your home. Here's the thought today, and that is this. Marriage is meant to be the very image of God. Your marriage was designed by God to show Him to the world. That people would look at your lives together. Why man was made, what? In the image of God. For this reason, what reason? God put them together. What was the purpose? So we would be together in the image of God. That we would show the world God. I believe we can evangelize the world by people seeing the relationship we have together in our home. That they can see when everyone else is breaking up and there's divorce running rampant everywhere. And they can look and say, but there's something different. There's a different image about your home. What is it? They can discover God. Why? Because they can see God. Because as man and woman in the image of God comes together, we create a union of God showing forth His image and what God thinks or what God needs to be seen through this whole world. Think about that. Our marriage should show the world God. If you're not married yet, then you need to hear this because you need a Christ-imaged marriage. A marriage that is going to glorify God. I don't want to go into great detail today, but we've got to understand if we were created in the image and likeness of God, we've got to discover or understand who God is. We've got to discover the image of God. I want us to go there for a few moments. We believe and teach from the Word of God that God is a triune Godhead. We believe that God is a trinity. We believe it is God the Father. We believe it is God the Son. And we believe it is God the Holy Spirit. We believe that they are three separate individuals and personalities, yet they are perfect in one. Now, I know that sounds so strange because how can three be individuals, have their own personality, but be perfect in one, in complete harmony? The illustration I often use is an egg. Look at an egg. If you take away the yolk of an egg, an egg is not an egg. 
If you take away the shell of an egg, it can't be the egg. Why? Because every part has its own separate identity, but what? Together, they make up an egg. It's the same with water. What is it? H2O. It's two hydrogen and an oxygen. Is that right? So uh, is a hydrogen not needed? If you take one hydrogen away, water is not water. If you take one part or one facet of God away, he's not God. He is eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune Godhead is totally harmonious, complementary, and functional, which I know is hard to grasp with our human minds. So if that's the image of God... God desires for us, His plan for us in marriage is for the two of us, husband and wife, to become one, thus exemplifying His image. A lifestyle that is fully possible for us to embrace. We can say, oh yeah, that sounds good in in theory, Pastor Philip. Yeah, that used to sound good and that used to be right. I'm telling you right now, the Bible says I am the God and I have never changed. That means how I purpose things to be then are the same way it needs to be now. Just because we see a wrong image around doesn't mean we need to mirror the image of people around us. We need to once again find our lives and our marriages in the image and the likeness of God, refusing to allow sin, secrets, silence, separating factors to take away the intimacy of oneness and unity that God instructed for us to have. And let me show you what I mean today. As the image of God, our marriage, I'm going to show you three ways our marriage should look in the image of God. Number one, our marriage should have equality and order. Our marriage should have equality and order. Let's just go back to the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question today. Which one is greater? Which one is greater? Maybe you would say, well, God, because he's God the Father, he's the Father, that's the Son, it's the Holy... God's got to be greater. That's not the truth. The truth is this. None is greater because all three are equal. However, from God's word, we discover that God is the head. So how can he be the head or the ruler or in charge if they are all equal? Here's why. Because he is headship in function, not in position. How does that apply to our marriages? And you've got to understand this today. Stay with me because we're going somewhere really powerful that I believe is going to transform your marriages today. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 23, the Bible says, for the husband is to be what? Head of the wife. Okay? Hold that thought. As also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of what? The body. In marriage, therefore, God has established the husband to be the head of the wife. Anyone with me on that? Even if you don't like that, that's the word of God. And I've found out living my life by his word is a whole lot better than trying to do it my own way. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but the end is not good. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not good. It's not good. Been there, not that, not good. Had the t-shirts, got the bumper stickers, been there. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. But God's good. Come on, look at them and square in the eye and say, but God's good. God's good. God's good. But notice this. 
God says the husband is to be the head of the wife. But not in the sense of positioning him over her. Husbands, men, you need to listen to me right now. Ladies, you better not tune out too because you need to hear this. God has placed a high expectation upon husbands. God has placed an awesome responsibility upon you as the head, as the leader of your home. But your role in the home is to mirror the Father's image or the Father's role in the Trinity. And listen to this. You know what that role is? Here it is. To be the source in that relationship. Husbands, you are called to be the source of your homes. You are called not to be the boss, not to be the Lord, not to be the master, but you are called to be the source. Your function, not position, is to be the head, which is the source of your family. That's why men are hardwired like this. They feel the responsibility to provide for their homes. If you meet two men, the first question most of them ask is this, what do you do for a living? That's how men find their identity, how they communicate with each other by knowing what they do. Ladies, they'll ask every other question before they'll even ask, do you work? Do you do this? They'll ask how many kids you have. Well, I like those shoes. Where'd you get them from? How much did they cost? Oh, you like them all too? Have you found this site? On the... They know all that before. What men, they'll say, hey, I'm Philip. How you do? What do you do for a living? Why? Because that's how men are wired. Why are we like that? Because men are wired to be a provider for our homes. A provider financially. A provider emotionally. A provider mentally. And a provider spiritually. Man, if you're going to be the head of your home, you need to realize you are the source Therefore, you've got to be connected to the source. Come on, you've got to be in tune with God to lead your family in the direction that they need to be. An illustration I read, it's like almost a spring of water. Have you ever seen a spring of water that just gushes out or a fountain that gushes out? It's like the husband is that gush in the home. And as a result of that gush, the wife is just swept up and the family swept up. And there is blessing in the home. Why? Because there is a source of life that is coming Into the home. Listen to me, ladies, and you can quote me on this this week. You are not less important. He is not greater. You are a team. You are a team. You are equal in position, but you are separate in function. Equal in position. But separate in function, the function of the man is to be the source and the head. Not the Lord and the boss, but the provider, the need meter, the one that takes care of his family. Most problems we find today in marriage are not because there is no head. If there is a no head problem in the marriage, most of the blame would fall onto the man because you need to be the head. But you know the biggest problem we have in marriage today is not a no head syndrome. It's a two-headed monster. It's a two-headed monster where we have two people fighting for the function that God has given man to fulfill. It's not a position. It's a function that God 
Because a two-headed monster is where the wife also tries to take or is taken the position of leader within the home, creating an order that is not sanctioned for God, therefore a marriage that is not in His image and not what God destines it to be. Therefore, it's something that won't work. Now, I know that there are some single mothers here that you have had to take that function because you don't have the headship of a husband in the home. But may I remind you today too that Christ says that he would be the husband to the husbandless. That God would be there for you and to help you. But listen, that's just your role temporarily. Because when you find the right person, you then submit. You don't come under as in like he's greater. But you submit to that godly leadership or that source that he is to provide. You can get mad at me all you want. I know people get mad at you when you preach stuff like this. But I'm telling you, God's way is always the best. And he wrote the book. I didn't. I'm just telling you what he says. And we need to know what God says. God designed the husband to be the head, the source. And any wife who refuses to submit to this natural order generates constant frustration in their marriage relationship. So what do we see first in the image of God? We see all are equal, but yet there is a different function and a different role. Husbands, you're to be the source. Here's the second image of God. If we're going to look at a marriage that's in the image of God. Second thought is this. Two individuals living as one. Two individuals living in perfect unity. Becoming one. That's God's plan. If you were to look at the definition of one in the dictionary, I don't know exactly what it would say, but it would talk something like solitude or alone or on your own and there's only one of you. And That's not the oneness of the picture that God creates with just one person standing alone, being lonely and having no one. But the image of being one that we see from the Word of God is oneness. Oneness, which comes or results through... Plurality, meaning two people. You don't have oneness in a marriage unless there are two individuals. And really, if you want your marriage to succeed, there needs to be three people involved in the marriage. And we're not talking about the lady in the cubicle next door or whatever. We're talking about God needs to be the head and the foundation of your home. The three of you together. Come on, if you're going to clap, don't give me a golf clap. Give me a football clap in the hand. So we see this oneness again in the Godhead. And I know this is a lot of information today, but I really think it's so vitally important. We see that God is one God, yet He has three very distinct persons. As we look through God's Word, we can discover some of these differences. And I almost don't like to talk about the word differences because it kind of paints an image of separation. It's different characteristics that they possess when coming together. They complement each other. Like, for example, if you would look at the Bible, I wrote down a few thoughts of God when it comes to the Bible. What is He? He is the fatherhood. He is the headship. He's holy. He's loving. He's just. He's sovereign. That's pictures that we see of the characteristics of who God is, the very nature of God. Then when we read about Jesus, here's some nature or characteristics we see of him, very humble. He was bold. He was a servant. He was kind. He was compassionate. And then we see of the Holy Spirit, we see that he was the comforter. We see that he is empowering. And really, I guess we can say he's a mysterious one. We don't understand it all. 
But he could be the mysterious one. But notice, they are all unique, yet they are one God. They function in perfect unity, not because they're the same, but because their differences enable them to come together to complete the fullness of who they are as one. How does that relate to us? I said this earlier, men and women, we're different. A great analogy that we've heard about men and women is men do everything in blue, women do everything in pink. What do I mean by that? Women see pink, they hear pink, and they speak pink. Well, that's great until you add a man into the equation. He sees blue, he hears blue, and he speaks blue. We almost speak different languages, but yet we're trying to do the same thing. The illustration that we've used many times before is husbands don't ever do this, but just say you did. Just say you had a lapsing moment for one just split second in your life and you came home and you handed your wife the latest dieting book and said, sweetheart, I know you wanted this. I bought you a gift. Guess what's going to happen, guys? It's not going to be good. Why? Because you're speaking in blue right now and she's hearing in pink and her hearing aids are resonating and she's losing it and she can't stand it because she's hearing you're not good enough, you're overweight, you're not what I want to see and if you would just do this, then I would think that you were more attractive. And I would. He didn't say that. The poor guy is just responding because every time the latest diet comes on on the commercial on TV, she says, I want to buy that book. I want to get that book. He's just doing her a favor. What a lamb led to the slaughter. But notice what happens if her girlfriend buys that book for her. The her work friend buys that book for her and gives it to her. Here's what the response is. Girlfriend, you knew I wanted that book. Let's do it together. Come on, we'll die it together. What has just happened here? Pink and blue. We're different. We're different. We're different. But yet God has called two different people to live as one. God never asks us to do anything that's not possible. I've got to say that again. God never asks us to do anything that is impossible to do. But I will say this. He asks us to do things that we can't do on our own. But we have to do it with Him. That's why we need Him. That's why I need Him. I need Him every day. Just this week. Can you believe this? Just this week I raised my voice at my wife. Sure did. She said something and I snapped back at her. She did not deserve that. She said, I'm tired of it. I'm not going to talk to you about it anymore. And she left the room. You know what I did? I felt like a dog at first is what I felt. I walked into our bedroom. I said, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. I should never have talked to you like that. You see, we've got to realize that there are differences and there are things that we're going to do in our lives. And that's why we need God. I need God to help me to keep my mouth shut sometimes. I need God to help me to have compassion sometimes. I need God to help me and teach me the function. And who better to show me the role of headship than the head himself? Come on, I need God. I need to be in communion. Guys, ladies, you need to be in relationship with God. This is not in my notes, but it's all over the place. You need to be in relationship with God. Because in your relationship with God, that's where you discover how you treat your spouse. Why? Because if we're in the image of God, you've got to start seeing your spouse as Christ. You've got to start seeing your spouse as the image of God. Would you do that to God? Would you treat God like that? 
So we're different. Everything's really different about us. Men have waffles for brains. Women have noodles for brains. What am I talking about that? When a man's in a square, he has squares in his brains. Did you know that? Ladies, when a, la- when a man says to you and you ask him the question, what are you thinking? And he says, nothing. Do you know that a man has a square in his brain called the nothing square? I know, ladies, you can't figure that out, but we can sit there, guys, can't we, and think about nothing. (laughs) Ladies can't understand that. There's no way. Why? Because their brains look like a noodle. You know what a pile of noodles looks like? Everything's intertwined and wrapped and everything's connected to everything else. We can be in our square. You can't understand that because everything is connected together. But yet, notice, in the beginning, God made what? Man and woman. He didn't make us by mistake. He made us by the divine order. For what reason? That two of us, with our differences, with our different characteristics and our different ways, guess what, can come together and we can complement each other. As in the image of God, two becoming one. You see, our differences and individualities do not have to be surrendered and lost to experience unity. You don't have to give up who you are and I say this a lot in marriage counseling. You've got to know who you are because obviously that's what they saw in you when they found you. There was something that impressed them. There was something about you. So if you surrender that and you get married, guess what? They're like, who are you again? It's not relinquishing who you are, but yet it's coming together in harmony and unity and realizing that you've both got something that you can add and bring that doesn't create weaknesses, but can create greater strength. Come on, it shouldn't be sacrificed and given up with. Why? Because if you have to give up something and sacrifice something, you're going to resent them for it later. You've got to learn how to celebrate each other's differences. But remember this, there's got to be give and take. Guys, if you're playing golf, you can't play golf six days a week and just say, well, pastor says I don't have to give up everything. You've just got to accept me how I am. Come on, that's foolishness. But we're talking about the giftings and the talents and who you are, the person that you are. You don't surrender that, but together you become one. You realize they're not you. You know the greatest reality of life that I had in marriage is realizing Kelly's not me. I don't have a problem with standing up behind a pulpit and preaching, but Kelly does. That's not where she's comfortable at. But I don't have to make her do this to be who she needs to be because she's who she is outside of this because God made her to be that. But can you see what can happen when we try to make people be who we think they should be? We're not only disrupting their life, we're disrupting the image of God in our marriage and in our home. We can use those strengths and passions that we can build an awesome marriage experience. Not settling or trying to change each other, but by complementing each other as bringing unity and happiness and fulfillment. Our differences don't have to be weaknesses. They don't have to weaken our marriage, but they can strengthen it. Why can they strengthen it? By choosing to be unified in your home, by striving for unity, by having give and take. Yes, through the challenges of your difference, but as you exhibit obedience to the calling that God has placed upon your home and to your marriage. Guess what? How it was first created to be, you begin to decode and you begin to understand and you begin to live in harmony and unity. 
I'm almost done today. So if we're going to have a marriage in the image of God, we've got to realize there has to be equality and order. And there has to be two individuals who become one. And last but not least, point number three, there has to be total commitment. Total commitment. You know something about the Godhead? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're never going to break. They're never going to break up. You know what it's like in our home a while back? Anyone ever heard of like this little punk group called the Jonas Brothers? Anyone ever heard of Jonas Brothers? Anyone ever heard of Backstreet Boys and what's all the other groups and all this? You know what's amazing is that they stay together for a while and then they break up. One gets bigger than the other. They have a fight, money, or popularity and fame, and they break up and they divide. And They were good for a while. Listen, God is not going to be good for a while. God's going to be good all the time. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not going to have a dispute over who sings better or who wears the skinniest jeans. Or what's going on in their life. They're never going to break up. So listen to me. If we've established that God wants our marriage to be in His image, guess what? Our marriage needs to be the same. No matter what, we need to be determined that we're not going to break up. That we're going to make it through. That we're going to work, listen to this, together. I realize today that it takes only one to break a marriage and it takes two to to make a marriage. I realize that. But what I'm talking about is two people who are willing to work through their differences and the problems. I'm telling you, there is nothing with total commitment that they can't make it through. What does the Bible say? Our hearts can become hardened and different. We've got to allow God to heal our hearts and to give us. Remember earlier in Matthew 19, we read about how the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus into trying getting him to talk about divorce. It's almost like if Jesus could, he was angry with them. He was perturbed with them. He was upset with them. Why would you ask about divorce when you could ask about life? Why would you ask about something to justify the wrong choices that you would make in your life instead of saying, teach me how to make the right choices for my life? Can you see that? Jesus is perturbed. Why? Because he's perturbed because he knows what the original plan is for marriage. He knows that God is what? God is a promise maker. Not a covenant breaker. Come on, God's a covenant maker, not a covenant breaker. And look what Jesus knows that what God says. Look what he says in Malachi 2 verse 16. He says, for the Lord God of Israel says what? What does he say? He hates divorce. Why? For it covers one garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Notice the responsibility is my actions and who I am. Well, they did that, so I'm going to... No, no, no. The Bible says, take heed to your spirit that you do not what? Deal treacherously. God hates divorce. Listen to me. But he doesn't hate divorced people. God hates divorce. But you know why he hates divorce? Because he knows the hurt and the pain that it brings along with it. Look, for it covers one's garments with violence. You know what happens in a divorce situation? Innocent people are hurt. If there's children involved, if there's family members involved, having to pick sides and to find the balance, it hurts other people. God doesn't hate divorce because he hates the divorcee and the person who's going through it. He hates it because of the results it's going to bring to your life and what you're going to have to go through and what you're going to have to face. But he also hates it because it destroys the image. His image to the world of what he wants to be. God loves people. 
He loves marriage. And he loves family. And he doesn't want to see any of us hurt. But look again at the last part of that verse. Take heed to your spirit. I broke that thought down. Take heed to your actions, to your thoughts. Take heed to your behavior. That you don't deal treacherously. That you don't make the wrong decisions and the wrong choices. In other words, divorce doesn't even need to be an option of our minds. Because I'm telling you right now, if we have the doorway of divorce as an escape route in our minds, you know where we're going to go when the trouble hits? We're going to go straight to the escape route. We're going to go straight there. In the Garden of Eden, God gave mankind everything they wanted, save what? One tree. Where did Satan take them to? That one tree. They had paradise. They had everything. You're going to always find the doorway. That shouldn't even be an option in our lives. When we're struggling through things and stuff, it shouldn't even be where we give grounds that we would say, well, if they're going to do this, then I'm going to divorce them. Guess where Satan's going to attack you? You're already speaking right to that area. If they do that, then guess what? I'm going to divorce them. You're already given a foothold almost for Satan in your marriage. That If he can disrupt this, then we know the next result. And again, I understand that people are divorced. I'm divorced. I've gone through a divorce. But you know what I say to people? People can look at me and say, well, why do you preach so strong on marriage? Just because my marriage failed, my first marriage, doesn't mean that God's way is not still right. Doesn't mean that God's image of marriage is not still right. And Kelly and I are doing everything we can to live in that image, to be the likeness of God, to show people Christ in our lives. You know today that even biblical grounds for divorce, such as adultery, immorality, abuse, biblical grounds for divorce can be also biblical grounds for healing and reconciliation. Think about that. The image of God. So let me sum it all up this way. What is the goal of your marriage? Those of you who are not married, what do you want from your marriage in the future? What do you want out of your marriage? I'm going to give you two options today. You can either have success or you can have failure. It's either going to succeed or it's going to fail. But I've realized this, that I can never have success while I'm holding on to failure. I can never be successful. We can never be successful. We can never truly be one if someone keeps bringing up the past, if someone keeps bringing up the pains. All those pains are real and we need to deal with them and with the help of God we will. But as long as we're holding on to those, we'll never see the healing that God wants to bring in our lives. Come on, we've got to shut the door. We've got to slam the door. You see, if divorce is our thought, it's going to begin to play into our actions. We've got to say our marriage is going to be successful. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to realize that God has called us to be equal and to have order in the home. We're going to realize that we may be different, but yet we can come together and find unity. We're going to believe together and say, hey, listen, we're in this total commitment. I love Dan and Nancy. They'll tell you this if you ask them. They don't believe in divorce. They believe maybe in murder, but never divorce. That's what Dan said, maybe murder, but never divorce. But that's the total commitment that has seen them now through how many years together? 53 years together. 53 years together. 53 years together. 
Have they had rough times? Has one felt like leaving? Has one felt betrayed? Has one felt that they weren't important enough? Have they? Got, yes, they have. And they've probably gone through those many times, but they're still together today and they're happy. Why? Because they made a commitment that we're going to exemplify God in our lives. That we can bring hope to those around. What a great hope we can bring to the world around us by having a successful home, a successful mass- marriage, a successful future together. I know I've gone on too long today, but I wanted you to get this. I wanted you to get this. I know this is a lot of information, but it's vital keys and truths for building your, image, your marriage in the image of God. Seeing your spouse as the image of God, not as Satan. They're not Satan. Come on, they're not the devil incarnate living in the bed with you. Come on, that's not, sometimes you feel that way. But you know what? God has called us not to live by our feelings, but by live by our faith. And maybe we don't see those things, but we've got to begin to believe that through total commitment. And I just want to bless each one of you today. No matter where you find yourself, there's hope through God's word today. There's keys that you can learn in marriage as you become married. There's keys today that you can learn in your marriage. It's never too late. Today is a great day to start. Today is a great day to start. Be the example so that God will be seen through your marriage. Make a commitment every week to be here with us. Would you stand to your feet with us today? I want to pray for every one of you today. I want to pray for every home, every future home that's represented here today. But here's what I want to pray. I want to be prayed that we would get out of the way and we would be the image of God. That means biting our tongues sometimes when we want to respond and lash out. But yet allowing, as the Bible says, our words to be seasoned with grace. To be seasoned with grace and love. Come on, we want to gather. Anyone want to gather in your life? Come on, let me see your hand. Anyone want together? In every aspect of your life, you want it together. I want to pray for you today. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone in this place right now. God, I don't know the state of every home and every marriage in this place, but God, I know there's a lot of homes and marriages that need help. And God, that help is spelled J-E-S-U-S. That help is you, God. That help is you. And God, what else is that help? Is having the right order in our lives and and trying to, Lord, put things in the right perspective. Because God, when we try to go ahead of you, when we try to create and build something that's not you, that's when the problem is. But God, we pray that our marriage, our home, our future marriage, our lives, God, would be the image of you. That we would be the image of you, divine image of you. That people would see you, God, in the way we talk, in the way we walk, in the way we live. God, every day that people would see The hope of the world. It's you that lives inside of us. And God, we pray for that. Amen. We would like to thank you for listening to our message on Together. We pray that what you have just heard will change your life and bring new freedom to your marriage and home. If you need any more information or just someone to listen, we are always here for you. Call us at area code 225 274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us or visit our website at www.hflc.us Have a blessed day and remember, when you put God first everything you do will prosper.